Black Box Radio. We are a media platform illustrating black excellence. You already know. We out here. Hey. Sheila Dixon, a mayor candidate in uh, Baltimore City 2020. How you feeling? I feel good. Feel you know? good? Yeah. We are so blessed and so humbled having you. Well, I appreciate it. And we appreciate you coming out. Thank you. We Thanks really for do. reaching out and reaching out and <laughs> reaching out and inviting me. I love your me. honesty because I, know I, <laughs> I knew I was coming. Because oh. <laughs> you got a family. you like, I got to get, I gotta get this gotta, person off my back. You got to reach <laughs> and reach and reach. But you got to do that. Right. And you got to go to the campaign manager. Don't forget that person. Yeah. Yes. And, he and he's is wearing security. 20 hats. Right. He is security. And he knows. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he knows how I am when people say, <sighs> can I do and the follow up. Right. Okay. I'm a stickler about that. I was a stickler about that when I was in public office and what I do now. Okay. I try to follow up with people. You know, it's amazing, though, because what's interesting, when you talk to different people in the corporate community um, and they have their secretaries and even as some of the mayors did where you're. You had to have them dial the number to call the person back and then put the mail on the line. I was like, please, just give me the number. Let me call right. the person. And then you got to prove that that's you. Right, right. You know, it's like, Ooh. yeah, because it's like, this is not Mayor Dixon. You, this is her assistant. Uh, this is Sheila Dixon. <laughs> this is not my assistant. Right. You know, why well, I'm going to go through those steps. Right. I can get more calls done. Well, that's, a, you know, when you're official, they, they think you have to have these no, in between. you don't. But I went through a lot of in between. <laughs> well, you know, you got to you <laughs> know, get her in the seat. You didn't come directly are. to me. Right. It's not like you, you pulled up. Like, hey, get in here. Uh, it's, it's a process. Uh, I, get in, I in, have in. another story, but we're going to do that on another time. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because I pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> she did. Okay. I pulled she up. ran up on you, huh? Uh-huh. At a candidate event. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's up. But see, that's cool. the one she remember family. Because it was... Two before that, oh, okay. that she didn't really even register. Don't I, I'm, 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 let's I'm you. I'll be honest with you. I might not have registered because, you know, <laughs> if, if, if it on. was reaching out to me after some of these candidate forms, I know, I know. first thing, the only thing that was on my mind is one, if people want to, you know, talk or they have some issues or concern, I take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. The other part is to, I want to get out of here and go home. Put on some sweats. You know, and you're a person too. And, I get and, it. And, you know, because the days are long and right. then some of these sure. candidate forms are so crazy. You have to. It's yeah. like, whew. I guess that's one thing that you kind of have to learn when you have a very demanding schedule or demanding. There's a lot of demands. on You have to find a way to turn off at some point. Yeah, Absolutely. Because at some point you, you're not effective anymore. No. And you have to balance it. Right. You have to balance um, what you do. And that's even in, in, in your general life in True. general. True. You have to do that no matter what your profession mm-hmm. or what you're going through campaigning. It's just more intense. Right, yes. right. You, know, you have to be on all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you have to be on t- all on, on time anyway when the public recognizes you. You know, it's like right. going True. into the supermarket. Right. You can't. Yeah, wow. you can't. Do you have like a, you don't have to reveal what it is, but do you have like a go-to disguise where you can go somewhere and just kind of be low-key? Are you, know, you Michael Jackson? You no. got some dark, some real no, oversized even shades. I, and, even if I put my shades on really? or my baseball cap on or no makeup on or... 
doesn't matter. It's they amazing. Somebody they still on. people recognize me. Or if if they don't recognize me, and as soon as I say something out of my mouth. Oh, you have a distinctive. Uh, <laughs> yes, you have a distinctive voice. So I said, wow. I need to find a blonde wig, and that's 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 not gonna work I neither. No, I swear, I told you to be Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we do want to do is kind of talk about Sheila Dixon, the person, because <clears throat> you know you're an avid candidate in this city. The city knows you. So, what can you tell the people? Who Sheila Dixon is. Well, also, you say the people know you. Some There's a lot of new people in the city. True. That's true. And That's true. So I, I'm not super new. I mean, <clears throat> I've been in Baltimore since 2013. Okay. And I came, I came in and I kind of started working in community almost right away. So I am aware of a lot of, a lot of issues in the community and things going on just because of the nature of the work that I got into. But, you know, there are a lot of people who just come here over the last few years and even though you've been in public life before and been around, they might not like. No, you're right. Uh, yeah. And people who've come here who are new exactly. don't know me. They need to get right. acclimated with you. <clears throat> and they yes. don't know what I stand for, only what they see right. in the media. Sure. Right. Um, I was born and raised here in Baltimore. Um, I went to public schools in Baltimore. I mainly lived most of my um, childhood and adulthood, except for when I um, went off to college. Well, I, st- I even stayed home when I went to college because I went to Towson at that time. And you had to live. You oh. had to. Why? She got to, she's got to make her Morgan comment. Go ahead. Get it out. Well, wait a minute. Hold it. Hold it. Let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. But I got to have a little talk. No, let me Which finish. Did you just, did Excuse you say, me. Let me finish. Okay. I'm going to let you finish. I went to Towson. And at that time, they didn't have all the dorms and apartments. And so if you lived within a certain radius, you had to, you couldn't stay on campus. But. I actually, when I left high school, I had applied to schools in New York and other places. I tried to leave this city. I wanted out of Baltimore Hmm. with all of my heart, but I was destined to be here. At that time, my parents had separated and I felt that I needed to be near my mother. Hmm. Um, So I stayed. And the reason why I ended up at Towson State University is one that had one of the, probably the best early childhood programs Hmm. of all the universities and child psychology, which... But they gave me money. And that's the real deal. And let me tell you, I didn't have parents. I had working parents, but they could not afford to pay for my college education. Right. And so, but I partied at Morgan, but I went to Towson. (laughs) (laughs) Went to Coppin? No, she she said Towson. I partied at Morgan because a lot of my friends went to Morgan who Mm -hmm. didn't go away to college. Sure. I had friends who went to College Park, to Morgan. My best friend went actually all the way to Boston. At Simmons, it was an all-girls university because mm-hmm. they gave her a scholarship. Right. You got to follow the money sometimes. Or Eastern you Shore, but you, that's that's a fact. And that's yeah. why, you know, but I do pay tuition at Morgan because my son goes to Morgan. He okay. was in all mostly white environments from elementary up to high school. He went to Mount St. Joe okay. and he wanted a black experience. Beautiful. And he went, to, right he went to Hampton, <laughs> he went to the, right to the private institution in Hampton, where we, spe- where we spend a lot of money, and he had to leave Hampton. And that's a whole nother story. Well, and I'm really disappointed at the president of Hampton <laughs> not trying to keep young African-American black males there. Wow. But, and then he, he transferred to Morgan, really where his father went. To undergrad. He came I from South it. Carolina mm. to go to Morgan. Me too. He pledged a Kappa. No, I didn't do that. <clears throat> but um, but I partied at Morgan. Okay. Well, we're going to give you a pass for the party. Part of my childhood, I grew up in West Baltimore in the um, 
Garrison Boulevard, and then we moved over to Ashburton um, area of the city. Both of my parents, well, my mother, when we were young, didn't work until we got older. But my father was like one of the well-known salesmen, car salesmen in Baltimore. So okay. most people over 60 bought a car either from bought, bought a car from my, fa- my father. Okay. Um, what, what, Buicks? Selling in Buicks? No, he's, <laughs> no, he, Chevrolet's <laughs> and then Volvo's. Okay, Chevrolet, okay. Yeah. okay. Hey, with the um, Volvo, okay. I'm the middle child. Um, I have my brother who's deceased, um, is a year older than me. And then my sister was the oldest. And then my youngest brother who was five years younger than me. Um, he lives in California. So we were a very close family. Um, but I always wanted to leave Baltimore. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to go on the Peace Corps, but back in the early seventies, the Peace Corps was so popular. There was a waiting list. And, um, so when I actually graduated from, um, college, I actually ended up because there wasn't any jobs. It was we were doing it was a, during a recession time. Right. I ended up going to work for the water department for a brief period of time. Okay, we had to document people's payments on these index cards. That was really? the most tedious job in the world. Right. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> At that point, I went ended up going in. Um, I don't know. They might need to. Get them cars back up. No, you're right. Because what, <laughs> what we need, no, what, what, no, what, what we need to go back to is the the meter readers who were going out under right. the old system. Oh, uh, you don't like the you, digitized system. We, there's pro, there's a problem, and we got to if we don't fix this problem, yeah. we might need to supplement it with meter readers. Absolutely. Right, but this yeah. new system, I'm really suspect of. Well, they out there, you know, companies out there, they be like, eh, y'all good. <laughs> Y'all good. Don't don't worry about it. When that thing blows up, things right now as it relates to issues in the War Department, folks right now are trying to cover it up. Mm -hmm. And they're going to cover it up to after this election, which is unfair to the citizens. Right. Because it's unbelievable. Because something's happening because you got um, commercial tenants who are not paying their bills. And then I know like. At enormous numbers. Yeah. And like B. Gaddy a few years ago um, had had this ridiculous thing. She wasn't getting, or the, the center wasn't getting bills. It was some discrepancy. And then they had this big lean about to shut the Bigatti family center down over a water bill. And well, we had to they, well, ordinance was passed where um, the city does not take the properties now. But here again, mm-hmm. you know, all the um, consultants and engineers that we pay in the city to handle these issues along with people who work over in DPW, this issue should be resolved. Right. It's, 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 I mean, I've heard some, some, some stories about people trying to cover up to protect Rudy child, but I don't know. Um, you know, it's about accountability and it's about, um, making sure folks are accountable and where there are mistakes, you've got to expose them and correct them and let the public know. Right. But, Back to me. Right. So I try to leave. Um, um, I ended up um, coming on board working for a nonprofit. It was an alternative ed program um, in education. Um, it was called Baltimore Prep, where mm-hmm. it was like the okay. worst of the worst young people who couldn't make it in regular public school. So-called worst of the worst. Yeah. Well, but check, check this well, out. Because I was a <laughs> 22-year-old. Oh, you were young. Sitting on a step, young lady. Okay. Sort of. Um, naive because right, right. my karate instructor at, used to say that I had no street knowledge. Right, I was right. t- naive. You were just green out there. Right. And he was right. And I've been green for a long time. I've just <laughs> finally become ungreen. But um, <laughs> no, that's the truth. I love it. Um, but um, 
these young people that we taught, they not only, I taught GED, mm-hmm. but they also had intense counseling. It was an excellent program mm. where they had a lot of psychological issues, okay. bitterness about things, trauma, et cetera. Right, right. So they had intense um, counseling along with the GED, but then they also ended up going to work. Mm. So some of those same young people, one gentleman who goes to my church, just retired from the job that he got back then really? working for the state where they were doing the assessment of mm. the labs in the um, um, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Amazing. Um, and and a young lady who um, I taught, <clears throat> of course, um, she's also a member of my church who's actually a good friend, Aloma, one of my students. But... Um, and then I ended up going and teaching in the Baltimore City Public Schools. So this this alternative school was just like high school age young people? Yes, it was high school. Okay. It was federally funded. And that's the problem. A lot of federally funded programs that are successful, if you lose that funding, then it's gone. Then it's gone. It never comes back. No. Wow. And that's the thing with why people talk about, um, um, what's the program? The POW program for where the police officers were running mm-hmm. the rec mm-hmm. centers. Mm-hmm. That was federally funded. That's why it's gone. Right. But the part about it is that even though those centers were closed under the O'Malley administration, we ended up opening them back up as rec centers. And we got the police to partner with the recreation department so that you still had the presence of the officer there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. involved with the kids working on program. And then when I left, they closed them again. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. So you went. So when you started going into Baltimore City Public Schools, um, I um, taught kindergarten at Stuart Hill Elementary. That was a school that I student okay. taught at. Okay. It was an open space school down in Picktown. They call it Union Square now. Union Square. Um, yep. Very diverse, poor, white, black, interracial yep. children. Um, I had a phenomenal team of experienced teachers who really helped me tremendously during that experience. Um, and then actually, I also... Because I, I had this drive, and I always do multiple things always in my life. Um, I um, went on a trip to Kenya with a mission with Cecilia Bryant, Jamal Bryant's mother. It was a woman's mission that she was turning to Pastor Bryant, John Bryant, were the pastors at Bethel, mm-hmm. and she had this women's ministry. And we went to Kenya, and as a result, some friends of ours. Um, we set up an export-import business where we were importing um, women's bags and things and we were selling them and vice versa. And that really sparked my um, desire to do something more internationally. And I ended up um, actually, delegate, the late Delegate Pete Rollins recommended me to go to work for the State Department of DBED, uh, where I went into the international department and started working. And I was working with companies all over the state of Maryland um, I had Eastern Shore, and I also had didn't have Baltimore City because I was still in public office, and I had um, down in Prince George's County, Montgomery County, and we would work with companies to help them to expand their products and services overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, I opened up the first office in South Africa, um, and Africa was my territory, the Caribbean, um, and so I got an opportunity to travel and work with Maryland companies. And I did that for 17 years. I was on a council. And then when I became city council president, people started questioning whether or not. You got, <clears throat> what, what, 
what you doing over there in Africa? What, what, well, what not only that about working for the state and <laughs> DBED, but it really most of my clients and businesses that I work with didn't even know I was in public office. Mm. It wasn't until um, there was um, individuals who said, well, this is a conflict mm, mm. Um, that um, even though it wasn't, because if it was anything that related to DBED that came before the city, which generally it didn't, most of DBED's budget is state. It was mm-hmm. all state. Right. Um, so then I ended up, I'm leaving the state and doing um, president of city council full time. Um, and but what, do- what year did that happen? That was ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay. And you had already been a council member. I was already a council person in the fourth district at that time. It's a, um, and then um, I went to work um, with D. I was working at DBED. I used to leave my car parked at City Hall, put my tennis on, walk down to the World Trade Center, and in the evening and the weekends, you know, handle my responsibility as a council person. Um, that's why I said I always had multiple things that I did. Mm-hmm. I had my daughter. Uh, I was the first um, council person who was pregnant and being on the council. Really. And I had my daughter on the um, while I was on the city council, um, and I had taken a leave from the state like six months, and she used to be at city hall with me all the time because I nurse, <laughs> okay. and you know as much as I could have her with me, I did. They used to call the council baby, and um, <clears throat> but um, I and, and then several years later, um, actually, I was on a trip into Zimbabwe. And I was pregnant and um, with my second child. And I, I knew something was not right. Something was not right. When I got back, I actually had a miscarriage. Mm. And um, it was a defective chromosome. And I, I, I can't, I'll never forget because my husband, first thing he said when we knew that it was a, another girl, he was like, well, how do we make a boy? I was like, how do you mean how we make a boy? <laughs> Just lost a baby. (laughs) But then two years later, my son Joshua was born. Excellent. Excellent. So they're five years apart. Five years apart. Yeah. Great, great. I never thought, I never had planned on having children. Really? Never had planned on getting married. Mm. Mm. You know, because we we had a cycle in my family of of some dysfunctional challenges. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, my parents were together. My mother, you know, tolerated some of the things, challenges my dad had, you mm-hmm. know, he was a good guy. Just And just other people in our family, some challenges my sister had in getting married. I was like, I, I'm not getting married and I'm not having no kids. Right. And you did both. Right. Did both. <laughs> yeah, and then your, your husband came through, popped that collar up and laid that, <laughs> laid them <laughs> verbs down, them, them nouns and verbs and talked you into a little bit, a little smooth. What is this? <laughs> Yeah, because you know what was interesting? What was that? When we had my daughter, of course, he passed around the cigars, right? Right, right, but when right. when we had my son, he went and got that big stalk that you that you announced. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because he was having a boy. Yeah, on the front lawn. <laughs> so when we came home from the hospital, here's this uh, big stalk with, with announcing a boy. Wow. Uh, he was- okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll, we'll just let that one lay yeah, out. Yeah, but, um, right. you know, I... I Graduated from high school. A lot of my friends went away to college. Um, that's how I got into karate. Mm. I met a young man. Um, so you're not familiar with Baltimore. It's uh, some clubs. It's called Odell. Oh, I know. And yeah, Gatsby. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't. 
I wasn't here when they it was open, but I'm aware of it. Everybody knows yeah. about Odell's. You've been here for one year. Right. right. You hear about Odell's. So when, you know, hanging out, you know, we met and he was involved, very engrossed in karate. He was part of the Raleigh Hawkins and Avengers. Mm. They've been around for 60 years. Mm. Actually, Riley Hawkins taught Bruce Lee how to do the backspin game. Yeah. Okay. Arnold Mitchell used to be with him. Arnold was yeah, with Yeah, Arnold was my yeah, teacher. And then yeah. Arnold went and you know did karate? his own thing. <laughs> okay. So we're, it's Watch like it. one of the, um, I got involved in it for 17 years. Got my second degree black belt. Oh, um, very really? active. I used to set up food co-ops. We started at Bethel Church, uh, where we grew out of Bethel, ended up uh, moving to a warehouse where we used to pool our monies together. Um, to buy fresh fruits and produce. And we had people all over the city. Over a thousand members were part of this co-op. Mm. We could use that today yes. in a huge way. In a huge Not way. only to save money, but also right. deal with a lot of the health challenges that we face. And we have a lot of food deserts in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. So that a co-op would be amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Kwaisi had ran for um, Congress, recommended me for his seat when he left the, the council. Um, but of course, the person who was there wanted somebody else, so I ran. Um, um, Pete Rollins actually got me, Delegate Pete Rollins, Stephanie's dad, actually got me involved in politics as far as um, running on the state central committee with right. him. Um, worked on a number of other campaigns um, where I learned how to really run elections as far as volunteer coordinating. So that's been you know, part of why I wanted to go into education was to make changes policy-wise. Okay. Because um, I had a students in my classes who could read maybe at a second, third grade level, but you could not skip them because of the socialization issues. Mm. You know, so I would sneak them into classes to take math and reading because I didn't want to hinder their growth. Mm. Um, mm. And, um, but it, there was always a lot of politics in, um, in Baltimore City public schools. And particularly if you weren't associated with of a sorority, particular sorority. Oh, mm -hmm. it was very clickish. So, so oh, it was clickish Baltimore too. Baltimore used to be a very clickish city. So why hmm. you said not anymore? So you said used. I think it's I think it's definitely changed. Mm, okay. I think but part of I think what happens is that um even though I don't think we're as a clickish in, in this group or this person or that person, I think we still have to broaden our perspective as far as representation on various boards. And identifying people, it's like we go and pick the same folks to, and that's to serve on different boards or be the leaders. Sure. sure. Versus really going out and identifying um, um, new individuals. Is that something I, you would do? I definitely. We did that. I did that in most of my um, adult life in the professional arena, even in what I'm doing now, working with African American um, contractors. You know, mm -hmm. we really expand and brought in. Um, a whole host of companies from small, mid-sized, you know, companies to be a part of not only the association, but help them to understand how to grow their company, expand what they're doing. Okay. Okay. Because I, it looks like, like the heads of all of these deputy heads, I just think Baltimore needs to be refreshed. I think the city's in a crisis and it needs a refreshing. And well, when you say deputy heads, that... I, the city really or chiefs of each department, these department heads. Right, right. No, I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm more or less saying yeah. that you know a lot of times they're recycled. Yeah, that's and I, true. And I think in, um, Baltimore has this issue of too too much of that, mm -hmm. and um, it needs to be some fresh people. I think. Right. Some well, I think you need ideas. a good balance. You need sure. a good balance. You do need some wisdom, right? But I, because I, part of why I say the government is not is dysfunctional now is because you got rid of 
a lot of experience, mm, wisdom, knowledgeable people, mm. and folks that are there have no clue, or they're in areas that really don't fit their experience. Okay. Okay. That's so that's I, what you get. You need I didn't a know good. That. Yeah, you need a balance. You need a balance. Yeah. Okay. You just don't throw folks out because they worked for this administration. Most people who work in city government, I find, are there because they're committed to government. Got to okay. remove the politics mm. that goes on. But you're right. You do need fresh um, people. So you need a balance. Yeah. And in the state that what Baltimore is in, um, I think it's, we're in a crisis more or less with um, so many different um, issues. And I think that um, we need a new mayor and we need fresh ideas and fresh people yeah. to um, the application of those ideas. Um, it shouldn't be the same way. If we're going to change our trajectory. No, we, no, that's true. But but we also have to, in doing that, if something is working, mm-hmm. sure, then you build on it. You're right. And Not that's the problem in Baltimore. They get rid of it. We every, get rid of it versus, exactly. you know, building it. And we need to really assess. It's a lot of programs. Now, I'm just learning about this program mm-hmm. that you're talking about here that Micah mm-hmm. is doing. Because Micah's on the west right. side of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And so we need to assess Every program that exists out there. Right. Mm. And I think you need a person who's not only has the leadership or vision, but who's willing to bring people to the table and say, we need to kind of assess. We need to assess everything we have for young people, everything we have for mental health, everything we have for whatever areas we need and do an assessment and look at it, you know, look at it with and say, okay, what impact are you really having? Right. Right. Are you having an impact just based on your little circle or you just trying to maintain this grant so you can employ a couple people to say that you have this program? Sure. Or what effect are you really having? Right, right. And if you're not, we need to get rid of it. Right. You hmm. know? And 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 expand something that's working. True. You know, and that's, I think, what our challenge is. It's like- it's We don't like, know what we have. We don't know right. what we're dealing with. Right, we have with. not done a real extensive sure. inventory of what yep. we have. That's true. You know, the program, I just go back to Thread which is a program that started very small. This young lady started it where she took the worst of the worst kids and she wrapped them with three and four mentors who tracked them, not only while in high school, Mm -hmm. but also got them into college. And they they still um, track these students. And now they're um, incorporating a grandparent component on it. Mm -hmm. It's also supplementing it. And you can see where her program has just grown. So the question is, if this thread program is successful, and I don't know how many schools she's in now, Mm. then what? Let's 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 give her some more money to expand it even beyond that. Absolutely. Versus maybe something that's in a school or in a community that's not working. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of times there's a lot of territorialism that kind of prevents things like that from happening. So. If you have a program that's working, you and if you bring it into a new area, a new community, you bump into the politics of that specific neighborhood of that community where they're like, oh, no, this is my my space. Right. But see, wanna, but you engage you know. them. Right, right, right. To be a part of that. Right. Because if what you're doing is not working, then why should we be funding it? It's even with city services and government like city stat was created initially to really track, to look at the strengths and weaknesses of city government and really kind of outline what our challenges are, not to um, tear down employees who are part of that agency necessarily, but to say, let's look at, here's the problem. All right, how are we going to fix this? What are your suggestions? You know, what are our suggestions? And then track it. Okay, here's the problem. All right, in three months, 
one month I want to plan mm-hmm. and three months I want to see some real results. Right. And and then share that also with the public. Yeah, but people could take it personal, you know. Right, but you got to do personal. it in a way that it's not personal. Right. You can't, absolutely. You can't badger the, them when they come before right. you. Absolutely. You yeah, know? the emotional intelligence. Yeah, because so in, in some cases when it was created under the O'Malley administration, people were fearful of coming. And so they would fudge numbers, et cetera. You're talking so, about city stat? Yeah. Okay. So I always was skeptical. But what I learned was that it is a good tool. So you have to be inviting and say, look, look, we know there's a problem. We're not saying it's your fault. Right, right. But what is the problem and how we're going to solve it? Yeah, sometimes people see feedback as punitive. Yep. Like, absolutely. Then you have to make sure that those supervisors who um, oversee those areas, that they're not being destructive to those individuals. That's why I always had an open door policy. Somebody could come and talk to me, you know, a brown bag lunch. Hey, you can come and talk to me. Look, what you say to me stays with me. And now you have the inspector general process. So if people are going to be disrespectful, like the former department head of transportation was obviously, um, and you know, the interesting thing about this young lady is we were looking at hiring her Mm. before, but she obviously was really causing a lot of havoc for people who just were through and they went to inspector general about it. You know, I have people call me daily about issues in the city and I say, go to inspector general or go to the civil Civil Rights Division, mm. if you're being abused by by your employee. Do people still call you? Wow. They do. Wow. Because <laughs> in some ways. you like a plug. If I have, I still, I still have relationships. I have to be careful now because it's getting a little bit vindictive. People are now being told in city government, don't be involved in nobody else's campaign. Mm. So a lot of things going on right now. I believe it. Yeah. The polls say a lot of things. The polls make things happen. Well, but polls to me is the polls gives you a small perspective. Sure, it does. You know, because there's a large of people who are undecided. Sure. It's just sure. really about staying focused on what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely, absolutely. You can't let those numbers because they're not no. real. Yeah, so they are a percentage. So we're hearing how you moved into politics and because you have an incredible ability as a candidate. Um, you come in and you shake it up and then you you become on top at some point. So um, it seems like from your experience, you you have definitely honed how to be a, a candidate. You're very good at campaigning. Am I correct yeah. on that? You seem to be, Gen- seem to be mm-hmm. generally. So when it comes to um, being the mayor of this city at this point, what is your platform? What what are you going to bring for the people that's different? Because we're, we're going through something right now. We are going through something. And what I'm going to bring as a mayor mm-hmm. is not only my experience in knowing how to run city government, sure. but ways to correct some of the issues that we face. You know, the number one issue right now is crime. And you've got to take a holistic approach. Yes. It can't be all just... Um, have more police officers on the street, locking up people. Sure. You know, we've got to do our job as mm-hmm. it relates to, you know, violent offenders, getting these guns off the street. But we also have to look at how do we help young people who are in our community who are hurting in a lot of ways. And that's sure. a way of expressing it to really kind of channel that and do some something differently. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have not only avenues for people to deal with the trauma. You know, I'm a community school advocate where I believe that the school is the centerpiece of that community and how we could bring, um, one, have the school doors open longer. 
have mm-hmm. adults be able to come in in the evening, provide extracurriculum activities for tutorial or enrichment, right. have um, training in those schools, um, have social workers as well as psychologists in there so individuals can sit down and talk with them as a family and as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's part of, and get our officers out of their cars, in the neighborhoods, talking to um, residents and businesses and really kind of working, you know, we've got to gain that trust back. Yep. Um, I want to, here, here's something where we had it and now it's gone. We had a a cadet program for police and fire in the public schools mm-hmm. where you would end up attracting young people from Baltimore City to potentially go into that career. That was, they closed that. But we need to reinstate that because we need to get local guys and, and women to be a part of our police force. You know, I have a nephew who's a sergeant in the police department. And despite some of the trauma that he experienced in his life as a child, he is a phenomenal officer. And I'm not just saying it because he's my nephew. I can tell the way he interacts with folks because he knows the climate. He knows the element in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to, you know, um, and and we need to get control over how much we're spending in our police department. You know, we need a better balance yes, in budget what crazy. we spend in education and recreation and parks. And one of the things that no other candidate can say is I was able to reduce that overtime in the police department by looking at accountability, by making sure that we're spending our money wisely and knowing what happens. And then we need some consistency. Now we've had five police commissioners in yes. five years. That's right. a lot. Yes. You, I mean, you're not going to be able to have any consistency. Can't be effective, yeah. And and also, even though, and I don't know Harrison personal, we've had a couple conversations, but from my perspective, if he stays, you know, because that's the big question everybody asks, is he going to stay or are you going to let him go? Well, for me, it's about sitting down, talking with him, assessing my plan that I think can help, and also... He needs to have some people who know Baltimore. You can't have everybody at your top from outside the city who have no clue where Lexington Market is. I'm just mm. using that as right. a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Right. You need to have some grounded guys who I know who were trained in to be a leader of the police department to work with. You can't be intimidated because you because these these individuals were a part of the police department. Because sure. most 90% of the officers were are good officers. Um, safe streets, which I created. Other than Cherry Hill, we need to assess what's going on in East Baltimore and other neighborhoods that they exist, because those were the individuals that used to be part of that element that have a better handle on trying to negate or or um, or eliminate some of the conflict that's going on. And so, I really want to reassess our Safe Streets program because it was beginning to work successfully in some neighborhoods there were some challenges you know so those guys can get out there and figure out what is it going to take how do we mediate the conflict between each other i mean you're in right here in east baltimore yeah safe streets right up here on my right and oh god this has been a process that's been going on for quite a while with the ebdi yeah Um, this is a part of ebdi yes oh i'm very familiar if it if it weren't for myself and paula johnson branch EBDI would not have happened because it was a whole process of Mm -hmm. um, people having to leave their community. Right. And what we try to do is 
give them additional resources to support them, the fact that they were going to be leaving this community. Um, uh, of course, a lot of people have not come back, and I don't think they will. Um, but um, there's more that can be done. And you can see where it's, it's, it's Casey Foundation, Hopkins, um, have played a significant role in what's happening over here. But also, it's been a lot of politics over here as well, you know. And that's the piece that, how do you get folks to see that when you go into public office, you got to think and operate like a public servant. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. And what I, my goal is, if I'm blessed by God and the voters to come back, is to really work with young people to get them to understand that you got to learn city government. You got to learn the budget process. You got to learn your agencies. You got to learn the legislative process. And then, you know, create systems that are working and then turn it over and then say, hey, build on this. It's just like we went two days, one day recycling, one day trash. It wasn't just to get people to recycle, but it was to get people engaged and involved in what's happening to the environment, but also to have city government do a better job in getting into these neighborhoods where it needed additional help in getting those clean, but also getting residents involved because trash is a people problem. You know, but for me, the biggest piece for me in Baltimore, no matter what happens, is we've got to get a handle on health, mental health spiritual health and physical health. We have we have Hopkins on the east, Maryland on the west, MedStar, St. Agnes. Right. We should be the healthiest city in America. <laughs> we should be. And this is one of the things that I had always put the fire under their feet. Hopkins on, on this side where to provide free prostate and and um breast cancer and breast cancer screening. To, to reach out more in our community. It should be With premium all, care here. Yes, yes, not only premium care, but this should be the one of the healthiest communities. Yes. And that's the challenge in the African-American community. But Sister Dixon, to have a research institute and being a person who works in the medical field, you have to have sick people. That's, that's just it. You cannot research and do the amount of research they're doing and the amount of investment they're doing when it comes to trials. You have to have a group of sick people. That's what makes... Trials. That's what makes research go forward. So I got you. I to, understand to, that. to say that they will be a part of clean of health is coming. It's kind of adversarial to right. how they make their money. Right. Unfortunately, I got it. But you know, you know what? And I understand they're a research hospital. Yes. And, and, and University of Maryland, they're both. Yes. But despite that, yes, ma'am, they still they have a responsibility. Have a responsibility. You're right. In a huge way. You're right. And right. one of the things I work out at the Merritt Athletic Club downtown, so it's a lot of folks who are That's a nice professor one. at um, at um, Hopkins mm -hmm. are um, working out in the gym. And sure. so we're kind of all in the same locker room. We have conversations all the time. And the one thing that I mentioned, and then I think they incorporated that at Thanksgiving dinner, families start communicating but um, with each other. But one thing that I taught my kids is that there's certain illnesses that we have on my side of family and on their father's side of family. And I said, and you need to keep a record of that. Predisposed. Because when you go to your doctors. They're predisposed. Yep. Here's a way to prevent high blood pressure, sure. diabetes, mm -hmm. you know, heart disease, you know, 
certain cancers, maybe you can't totally control it, but there are things you can do right. to potentially prevent the it. People have accountability in their health also. We yes. have to be, you know, the way we're eating, yes. you know, the amount of stress, the things right. that we're doing on every, you do, you do have accountability, right. but these corporate entities also, yes. and if they can, if the people can be more, um, more open to their help and a, and a corporate entity would give more because they have more resources, then it would be a better Baltimore, but that's not happening. And no. we can make that happen. Then we yeah. can change of, change the outcomes. Yeah, no, and, but that has to it happen. has to happen. Right. Absolutely. You know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And no one has been talking about it. You know, I stayed on Hopkins and, and University of Maryland and I had them partner with us. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we're dealing with this virus and I haven't heard anything from Baltimore City. Huh. No one, the health commissioner hasn't said anything. They've not had none, nothing. Nothing. Because, you, need, you know, if you get, you need respirators, you need, you need certain things in place when people start getting the, right, dealing with these Right, but we also have to start emphasizing Some type people, of plan. Stop coughing in your hands. Yes, and, yes. and people Wash are paying wear masks, but the hands right. is the, is the yeah. number one mode of transmission is how it is hands. Yeah. So we need to wash our hands appropriately, but no one's saying a word. No, we, we need get, to be pumped. Pushing that out. Exactly. We should well, be. We're putting it out right now. Yes. Y'all wash your hands. <laughs> Don't be touching your eyes and face. Exactly. And your mucous membranes. You know, I heard that the governor did at the state things that they're going to do. Exactly. But we got to also get to locally. Sure. You know, this is what we need to do. We're still in the flu season. Mm -hmm. We are. You know, you know, I do. I take a lot of homeopathic things when I feel something's coming on. You know, before looking at what other types taking? of medication, I take um, Umka. I, yeah, I drink this um, herbal tea that's for colds and flus. Do you do like a black sea oil or something like that? Moringa tea? No, I don't do the Moringa tea. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. But, um, yeah, I'm into that too. You know, I'm really into that uh, that uh, herb, that herb game. Yeah. I think we have to have it. You know, you can I've have I've always pills. had uh, homeopathic doctors. Wow. Um John Chazelle, who's passed, was my first. Okay, and so now I still go, I go to a a regular internist, mm -hmm. but um, but she knows, you know, based on. And then there's a doctor um, in D.C. I go to, Doctor Sullivan. Okay, and you working out, so you're doing you're into that physical yeah. health. Mm -hmm. I've always, I, you know, it goes back from a child in high school. I I was on the dance group. I was a cheerleader, uh -oh. and then in college, I got in the. Um, we can karate. put up video. You can do a routine for us. I you know, got we had no, you still got them steps together. Yeah, you can get us. And a I've step always bike. You know, when <laughs> real talk since. So you 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 like you like she's, to ride bikes? She's athletic. And um, I play racquetball. I do boxing. Do yeah. Oh, okay. You so, know, bike lanes are real heavily politicized issue around the city it too. Is. It is. It is. And you know what? Some of the challenges are though is some areas where they're putting the bike lanes are not necessarily the most appropriate places. Right. But not also saved. in some communities in our community, we and I brought this up at the bike forum. Of course, nobody clapped for me. It was mostly a white audience. Hold on, I, I don't clap. Know Go why. ahead. But we stay um, the point. I we'll throw it. some claps on. It. Go ahead. Put but, your head no, no, down. no, no, no. What I said was head. in some African American <laughs> communities, they fight putting the bike lanes because sure. they say black people don't ride bikes. Mm -hmm. well, that's not totally true. No, but not at all true. No, it isn't. But in a lot of our communities, we don't, we don't. We aren't riding them. Well, I think I see the the guys, you know, the young guys who are 
you know, bike right. crews, you know, like the squeegee boys. It's, yeah. it's a biker boy. But they're not riding on the bike lanes. But they don't ride in the bike lanes. You're right. You're right. But it doesn't negate that if you put it there, that they would utilize it. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? So just to say that we got to stop getting out certain colors, do certain things. I, I agree. I don't, I don't know where that comes from because. I, I belong to a black bike group. Thank you. But so it amazes county, me the standard we have. The standard we have is certain people do yeah. certain things. We got to yeah. get out of that because yeah. all people do all things. Yeah. You know, but then so. you also have to open it up to expose people to, to it. that exactly. It's just like the bikes that you can rent and the um, scooters that you can rent. You know, we need to put those in other communities, just not just downtown. And of then course. maybe somebody will get on a bike. Absolutely. But, that, you know, the mistake is everything works downtown. And, you know, it doesn't no, work for everybody. Doesn't. That's not true. But another thing, I think Baltimore City needs an audit. What do you think about that? Well, we definitely need an audit. Actually, Carl Stokes, who was on the council, actually, and Brandon voted no for it, put in a bill to have all of our agencies audited I on think a yearly it's, basis. it's well needed. No, it definitely is. It definitely is. Because if you don't know what you have, how are you applying it? There are audits that are being done, but we need more extensive, detailed yes, audits. Transparency needs to come to, to, yes. to the office, I think. So you're, you're for audits in this city. Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Because okay. okay. that's how you assess, you know, where you're weak, where you're strong. Where there's waste true, and what true. you need to do. You don't know what you're doing it. unless you know your right. numbers. You know, you got to know your numbers. And clearly coming in after in December, because mm -hmm. that's it's a long period between April and then you have the November election. I mean, that's the first thing that w that needs to happen in January. Oh, it's I agree. Our extensive laws in every agency. Love it. I love that. And an another thing um, I've been... Somebody whispered in my ear to talk about is real estate, the initiatives here, you know, because it seems like black people are being priced out. Gentrification is real in every city and Baltimore is here also. And um, Baltimore has a lot of blighted properties also. But um, the tax base is changing and the people who've actually been in the blight, gone through the blight, experienced the blight are now being priced out of the of Baltimore City per se. And we haven't even gotten to a point of the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. We're going up. So how can we deal with this movement to push the actual people who were in Baltimore City out of Baltimore? Because a lot of people going to the county, you know, things are changing. You oh, know, it is. Oh, you know it subsidies is. have changed to the county, a lot of the vouchers. You know, Baltimore County has, money has over has 900 shifted. and some thousand people. Yes. A lot of city residents ended up in Baltimore County. Mm -hmm. Mainly... Because once their kids get a certain age, they want better schools. Mm. That's why we had the first initial flight of African-Americans. So in particular. That was a large system. Yes. Mm. But secondly, as it relates to properties and, and, and real estate and investment. Sure. We need to stop um, letting properties that are inherited in our family go. Legacy, yes. And keep. And, you know, yep. and find there are resources that can help people to retain and, and, and keep those properties. And then also, you know, there's some discussions about bringing back the dollar home program. And that's a it's an interesting concept. But part of why we have some of the blight we have is people back in the 70s when they bought the dollar homes, they held those homes. They did not, they do, did not do anything with them. And they're waiting for those properties sure. um, to increase in value. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I... Um, tried to institute and I'm going to bring it back. Mm -hmm. But here's the politics. And it was land banking, where if you have a block and you have a vacant property and somebody wants to buy that property, mm -hmm. you know, for home ownership mainly, is that we would give them that. 
leverage that property, clear away the liens, Mm -hmm. and then help them, you know, to leverage that through a bank loan as well as a grant, potential grant through some of the programs that are there. So you'd have to have partners with that. You would have to have banking institutions. Well, you wouldn't necessarily have to have a, if for individual, if you were going to do a whole block, you You would would need to have some experience. But an individual can go out and get their own financing and that type of thing. But also, just take this community. you have programs like Hopkins, you have the city's program, you have the state program mm-hmm. for first home ownership where you could get that potential grant to help supplement that. But we're giving you that property and that property has some value. So then you leverage that at the bank. It's Got working it. in That's Cleveland, what I'm saying. So they working would, they in would Detroit. move on to their own financing, but yeah. they have a lot of subsidies when the city's helping them. Right. Okay. And we're giving them that. We're not selling them the property. We're clearing away because a lot of time it's there's liens. a lot of liens on that property. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to take a loss, but that loss is ultimately going to be a benefit of a tax base. Of a tax base. And I think to t- sometimes you got to step back to come up. Yeah. And I think in Baltimore, that needs to be instituted. There's a lot of people in that situation. And it's hard to say for people to keep legacy homes when the n- whole neighborhood is blighted. Right. And people say, well, you should just keep it. But every other house on the block is blighted and you have this house that really has been has no value because of neighborhood. Because um, when they look to compare it, there's no comparables. Right. So in all actuality, it's... Baltimore City has to do their due diligence with people leaving the city and the neighborhoods the way they are, and then offer these type of programs as incentives. Yes, because we got some issues going on with the housing here. But when they when they give it to these developers, because I see the city is a party to um, developers and the regular person they come after, but a developer they want to package up, you know, like the neighborhood and give them a package. Mm-hmm. But does that help regular people? Because now they build up the neighborhood and sell it to other people who are not indigenous to the neighborhood. Right. But also, we also have to balance um, through providing that subsidy so that that individual can stay in that community because you want to create a a mixed income community. Yes. And one of the things that I want to do more research on is through this 106 program through HUD, Mm. if you're on public assistance, there's a program where not only you can buy your own home and be a homeowner, but there's money and resources for you to even create a business and be an entrepreneur. Wow. And I wasn't aware of this. Quite amazing. I'm it, not aware of that one either. It's very quietly you said kept. HUD? Yeah, it's through HUD. It's through um, that's, that's, a that's federal Benji. program. Isn't that Benji Carson? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Benji Carson. <laughs> that's Benji. Ben Carson. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Okay. But it's create entrepreneurship as well as um, home ownership. Okay. I like that. I know that was that's amazing. You can because that keeps people in neighborhoods. When your businesses right. is, is that keeps and then you, it that also keeps you gets there. people breaking cycles and families getting yes. them off of public um, assistance. Get them off of to it. To yep. understanding the reality of entrepreneurship, of entrepreneurship, yep. and owning and being independent. That's true. That's true. So I like that. I definitely like that. And another thing that um, I do want to talk about is like entertainment. For for um, black people, there's so many entertainment enclaves in, in Baltimore where you can go, and it's diverse, and it's more European than anything. Like when we're talking about um, Federal Hill and and coming downtown and all these places, there's a plethora of places, but there's nothing for African Americans. Like per se, is like an entertainment district. Like say um, Pennsylvania Avenue used to be. You know, well, party actually, you know, there's a whole plan to create uh, that back. That's what I'm talking. That's what I'm talking yeah. to you. Yeah. So, I th- are you for that? Harlem Park has a theater there that sitting there. So, are we looking into creating those type of environments for? Um, oh, clearly. 
We okay. definitely are. But because what, what it's we're not gonna here. Need, yeah, but what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to address some basic fundamental issues in some of those communities. Because you got to attract people who are going to spend money. Mm-hmm. And right now we have little clubs and little places that d- different um, generations go to now. Mm-hmm. But to have a area, yes. you know, we've got to create that environment That's where it's going to be safe. True. And it's going to be attractive mm-hmm. to invite people. But p- that's a primary to, 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 to focus on. You got the arch, area. you got a methadone clinic. You yep. know, so these are some issues yeah, that actually blight up the, uh, next to a library. So why yep. are we doing that? Why are we putting drug dispensaries across the street from libraries? You know, and and, and that's in no other neighborhood. No, I, I agree. Yeah, and that's that's a problem that we would, our children would see that on a nominal basis. Well, and that one needs to move. That one needs to move. Definitely. You cannot have a drug no, dispensary in front can. of a library with children. It's just, why are we doing that? And if you look in any other neighborhood in the city, they would not even have something like that. No, I agree. And First of all, the state, this is where the state, this is why our state representatives have a responsibility because they regulate based on zoning where they can go. And that's why those people in that arena Absolutely. select certain sites to put these facilities. Yes. And we need, the state needs to do a better job in Absolutely. assessing that before they just give a license True. to a business to put that treatment center. Not that that treatment is not needed. No, I'm not saying it's not mind, needed. I'm saying we're situation. Three blocks over, there's a, a treatment facility there that you could potentially partner with to provide that outpatient service. Yes, exactly. But, but see, for me, the other piece too is you can come in for services at mm-hmm. a particular place. Okay. But my concern is when it's time to go, go. Stop hanging around that area. Come, I mean- well, when you have the whole environment is for them to hang, though. Right, but you but have the, the you have a methadone clinic. Provide, you gotta look at some alternatives. MTA has a big hub there, so now you have people who will stand. Okay, but if you're, you're waiting for the bus or the subway, mm-hmm. then fine. Okay, mm-hmm. get on the bus, get in the subway, but don't, you ain't gotta hang out there day and night. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, but that, that's go volunteer at your <laughs> child's school, <laughs> Sister or your granddaughter whatever. or grandson's school. I Those mean, come folks on, but see, we got to also deal with reality. We got to change the mindset then. That's we, a mindset but, but change too. I believe those centers have a responsibility because here's Absolutely. the other thing. Are there, are there also alternatives to just methadone to make people more functionable so that they could maybe get a part-time job somewhere or go somewhere to volunteer and spend time if they don't have a job and they're disabled? True. I mean, we, we got to, people also have to take some of that responsibility. No, no, people do have accountability, but you cannot set the environment. That's what I'm saying. You know, people do have the accountability, but you got a drug dispensary. You have, MTA has a big hub there. And that, so that right? movement, and you have cops sitting there most of the time. They're watching this as if that's regular. Yeah, well, they, well, you know, I, I have an issue with them sitting in the cars there. Yeah, they sit in the car there all oh, day. Oh, I know. So all I just, day and night. I, mean, I drive by there. Yeah, they, they chilling. Sure we got to do something <laughs> But better. it's a culture that we created that shouldn't be. Yep. All right. You know, yeah. instead of walking out on the, in the neighborhood in a in a respectful way, you know, saying, hey, you waiting for the bus? Okay. <laughs> if you're not waiting for the bus, I need y'all to move on. And That's you can true. do it. I talked to, to a lot of officers, particularly African-American, who said that they, that they have the ability to be respectful and get out there and get people to move. Okay. okay. If you're not waiting for your order in the store, you know, but- you know, people across the board are getting frustrated. We can, we were over going to the school and went past Turning Point at Bel Air and North Avenue. 
and they were all sitting in the bus stop. A mess. It's a mess up there. I, and the people waiting for the bus. It's getting on my nerves. It's a I, mess. It is. It's a mess up there. It's, it, I, don't, I don't understand why methadone clinics have to be outside on the street. What's up with that? They don't, you, but you that res- that business has a responsibility. Because I guarantee you, they He's don't live pastor. in that neighborhood. He's a pastor. Well, he don't live in that neighborhood. I don't care. <laughs> Real talk. Let's, <laughs> let's figure out a way to work with these folks, you know? Yep. And I guarantee you, they have kids in school. Yep. So why can't they go and volunteer at the school? <sighs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. We'll leave that alone. But that's you know, why I, I got, believe, I mean, we, I got, got, that's why I I believe got, we got to look at alternatives than just put on, the, put on the music over there, the, uh, <laughs> the Oscar music. Yeah, because she the wants the people to leave the methadone clinic. So we, we get ready and to go get home. Yeah, we got to sketch. We yeah, got to sketch. And go home. Got, yeah, we got to okay. sketch. Yeah, and go home. So this is the last thing. If last they don't thing, have a job, they're going to. brother. So, you know, the people want to know, can they trust you with moving Baltimore through this crisis? As being a candidate for um, for Baltimore City 2020 mayor, let let me say this as I as I as I said to others, um, you know, we look at some mistakes that we made, and no one knows the, the, all the particulars, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and you learn. Um, you try to be as transparent as possible. Sure, you try to be truthful and honest. And I know I'm going to have to work three times as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that some of the things that have happened um, recently, yep. you can't compare that to other individuals. Sure. Because people don't really realize. They only hear and know what they see um, in the media. And um, even though, you know, I've been... In, um, advise, don't share all the details of your situation. It's really getting more difficult than not to just lay it all out. Well, you right. got but, the box. You can come back and lay it all out. <laughs> well, I'm going to come back Sheila. to the box and lay it all out. Yes, okay. that's what we're going to do. Come we'll, on we'll, back. Come back. Well, I, we we looking forward to it. But, yeah, but, come on back. you know, I've disclosed my taxes. I put on my disclosure. Mm-hmm. When you had to fill out for candidate, more information I just put everything on it so no one can't question anything. So you overstate. I overstated it. Okay. Um, I um, I know well, not that overstated it. Oh, like what she said, she exceeded, oh, exceed yeah, so what she I exceeded needed the to. standard. Right. That's I, what I'm saying. I um, Gee. I know that um, my people that work for me, as well as myself, will have to be transparent and open, and um, and so you know. Like I said to people, it's God and the voter. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We enjoy it. I'm at peace and whatever happened. Whatever happens. And you're doing a good job because it looks like um, when I'm looking at, you know, the literature that's coming out, you're doing a pretty good job. So keep up the good work. Well, thank you. And Baltimore City loves Sheila Dixon. I know that. If if anything, I do know that. So we'll see. April 28th, right? Primary? Well, the... Um, right. Early voting starts April the 16th. April 16th. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate you coming. Get them taxes coming. in and then go early vote. Yeah, go early <laughs> vote. Real talk. So we appreciate you having having you here because I know you guys on the schedule. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. That. So if you win a primary, uh, can you do a live with the box for oh, the people sure. to talk to you? Yeah. Okay. Love that. All right. Love that. So anything you got to say? I could have done Dixon? live with the box today. Yeah, I hear Ooh, you. We're going to do live live. Have All people right. come right. in. Well, Fundraise. Thank Look. you so much for coming in. I know you have to go. Um, really appreciate your time. And to everyone listening, make sure you, if you want to see more interviews, go to blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X 
radio.com. You can follow us on Instagram, same name. And if you're interested in partnering with us, reach out to blackboxradio at gmail.com. All right. Sister Dixon, thank you so much. Thank you. For coming out. And we're going to keep you to that comeback. Got to come on back. Okay. Okay. Definitely. All right. So take care. Black Box, we out. Peace.